This week on The Vergecast, Alex Heath joins the show. We talk about his interview with Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss. What else is going on in the metaverse? A bunch of streaming news and then the lightning round to end all lightning rounds. It's coming up on The Vergecast now. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of reality. See, see what it is. And you got to you got to sit in that for a minute. Yeah, really, just pull the car over now and just think about what the flagship podcast of reality would be. And it's this. It's why you listen, and then you can keep going. Hi, I'm Neil. I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I'm the glitch in the matrix. Ooh, it's good. Alex Heath is here. I'm a cyberpunk mod. <laughs> Very good. You'll understand why that's funny in a little bit. Heath is going to be with us for the whole show. There's a lot to talk about you, but we we'll, we'll just start with, you know, one of the more exciting things that has happened at the old verge.com in our 10 years of running around. You hung out with Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss this week. Yeah, we talked about uh, a lot of things. It was a very interesting interview. And uh, the reason that we talked to them is because they are doing this new interactive, playable tech demo by Epic Games showing off Unreal Engine 5. And it's a tie-in with kind of teasing the next Matrix movie, which comes out later this month. So we talked about all that, kind of what is real, what is fake, the kind of blending of the virtual and the real, and how that's changing storytelling, and uh, a lot of other random things. Keanu is very classic Keanu. I mean, the video is up by the time you're listening to this. It's up. You should go watch it. It is very much like a Keanu Reeves experience. Carrie Ann Moss is great, too. Like, she's great. But, like, Keanu, like, literally, you can just see him, like, he lights up over time. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's, it's just very, the whole thing is very, at one point, he's like, we do this so that we can sell things. I mean, make art. I mean, sell things. And he just starts (laughs) grinning. Like, <laughs> it's very oh, good. The hand gestures are wonderful as well. And yeah, Carrie Ann Moss, not really a fan of technology. At all. Even a little. At all, which was interesting. But yeah, we talked about kind of digital likeness. Um, you know, Keanu was one of the first actors ever I found out in the process of doing this to be have to have himself digitally rendered um, in the original Matrix trilogy. And so Warner Bros. actually found that footage in like a a vault buried in the ground in like Idaho or something like that and gave it to Epic and Epic re-rendered it with UE5 for this Matrix demo. And it's, mm. it is fairly trippy. There's a couple times where they told me after like when it's real him versus fake him and it, it actually, it got me like at least once. 
And yeah, the, the intro to this is written by Lana Wachowski, the main writer of the Matrix franchise. And then it's kind of an open world sandbox experience um, that kind of showcases how UE5 is basically just super scaling uh, the ability to make like actual metaverse stuff. So yeah, it was it was really interesting. And Keanu was like, I, I'm almost ready to have a coherent thought about like the nature of reality and unreality and how that interacts with video games and cinema. I'm like, I'm like, I'm working my way towards it. And Carrie Ann Moss was like, yeah, no, reality is cool. Every, like, why would you, like, how about reality? How about yeah. I'm sitting yeah. at a table with my family? And he's like, but it could be a virtual table. She's like, yeah, but, but what about the real table? It was great, actually. The, the most shocking takeaway from this, um, Keanu Reeves uh, does not play video games. thought that was really interesting. I can I can see that. Well, he's he's a character on Cyberpunk, and I, I did ask him about you know in Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. We covered this when this was happening. Um, people were modding one of the characters that you have sex with in the game to be Keanu Reeves' character, and it got so bad that the game developer actually said, uh, "You can't do this. If we find out you're doing this, we will ban your account." And I asked Keanu about it, and he loved it. He was like, "You know, that's." He was like, hell yeah, um, and <laughs> clearly was not consulted on that decision. Another thing that I think fans of The Matrix will love is that Keanu really wants there to be a modern-day Matrix video game and uh, yeah. basically told me point blank that Warner Bros. dropped the ball 15 years ago, and uh, he would do it. So there you go. Well, it, The Matrix franchise is – I don't know. I – I think I watched it like my first week of college in 1999. It was like a field trip that like my dorm took, you know, like it was just like one of those eye opening moments. I hadn't really heard about it. And then it is like twisted and turned itself into all manner of things and memes. So it's wild that they actually never made the game is like the rest of the tech and gaming industry has done nothing but try to make the matrix. Yep. No, they did make a game. They made two. And there was only one where you could play Neo. It was called Path of Neo. It was on the oh PS2. <laughs> it was actually pretty good. The gameplay was like, I watched some YouTube videos of it. It looks fun for a PS2 game. And they could just remake that. They could just like literally just do like you're fighting as Neo as a game. Like you don't even need to really do a story. No, now they would do it and you would end up, you would end up in that dojo with Morpheus and you would have to either grind for 60 hours to level up two points <laughs> or like pay microtransaction fees to get a loot box that one of them would maybe have Kung Fu in it. Like, you know exactly how that game would be designed now. Yeah, that's fair. Another highlight of this interview, Keanu seems very interested in being the chief creative officer of a VR porn tech company. So um, if you are listening to this show and that's what you do, you should definitely reach out to his team. It's like you don't want to admit who the audience of your show is. And sometimes you just know. It's, it's like, the Venn diagram. You know, it's like yeah. extremely verge shitted in one corner, Keanu Reeves, VR porn, and then it all just kind of meets yeah. in the middle. Yeah. Did you get to see any, any of the movie at all? Did they, they preview the movie for no, you? No, I just, I've only seen the trailers. They were very cagey about it. Something surprising Carrie Ann said is that it's funny. Um, which I wouldn't expect from a Matrix movie, but... Um, well, the first Matrix movie was kind of funny. I guess it had funny moments, but I think the tone of this is going to be a lot more funny than the than the previous ones. Okay, I could see. I mean, the whole like red pill, like cultural association is such that I know the Wachowski sisters like want to break it. Yeah. Because it is now associated with the alt-right and all that. Like, I get why they'd want to change the tone about red pill, blue pill. We'll see. I'm excited to see this movie, but I'm burnt on the previous two. Like, they yeah, we were didn't so get into disappointing. That. 
Anyhow, is the Unreal stuff better than Gemini Man, the movie in which Will Smith was famously? Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, as a story, uh, objectively, (laughs) yes, but like literally anything. Um, The tech is. I think the thing that impressed me the most is that. So you're in this giant kind of sandbox city that they built that they're going to give to unreal developers to build like their own grand theft auto in for example and everything is rendered in real time everywhere persistently so like anywhere you move it's already there it's already rendered down to the detail in like a chain link fence so like we flew up and then we shot down into an alley and he was like that didn't render as we moved down there that was already there in full detail and i've never seen that at that scale in a game So it's showing just kind of the power of the world building there. And then also the ability for, this is a little more geeky, but the lighting is actually pretty cool. You don't need to know really, apparently placing lights in games is a super expensive, tedious process that really hinders the ability for it to look real. And a big breakthrough in UE5 is this kind of automatically AI powered lighting system that reflects naturally. And like we, you could, you can change the sunlight, you know, with a dial in the game as you play and watch all the reflections against the skyscrapers change and against the cars and, it's pretty cool, honestly. I mean, it's the idea is that you'll be able to take like, you know, a car maker will make a car for a, a work, you know, simulation thing in UE5. And that same hyper-realistic looking car could then be used in a racing game. It could then be used in the next Fast and Furious movie. All is the same asset in UE5, which is something oh, wow. that hasn't existed before. That's really cool. I've been playing the um, Grand Theft Auto remasters, which are very fun. Um, and I was like reading about them and how they did them. And they one of the biggest pieces of that puzzle was lighting. So the original, they were just lit. Like the game designers, like the scenes were just lit. Like it made no sense where the lights were coming from. We didn't have the technology. We updated the lighting design and we tried to naturally light the game. And we had to go through and like add street lights to places Mm. because there wasn't, it made no sense where the light was coming from before. And that was like the work of remastering this game was just rejiggering all the lighting. That all that stuff is like the confluence of game engines, movie special effects, and then the metaverse stuff. It does feel like it will all just kind of be the same software in the end. Yeah, and it's this is honestly like Epic is the perfect company to to make all this because um, their CTO Kim, who I also interviewed for the story, worked on the original Matrix trilogy. He has a film background, and he did all the he was a effects supervisor on kind of Bullet Time and like all oh, the wow. kind of iconic Matrix stuff. And knows the Wachowskis. That's kind of how this whole project came together. And um, he was talking a lot about how he thinks it's going to change Hollywood. And Epic is already so like in the Mandalorian in-camera visual effects where there's a giant LED wall behind you instead of CGI Mm -hmm. in post with a green screen. That's being powered by Unreal. And that technology, he thinks, is going to really just change how Hollywood runs, or I think he hopes it will. So, yeah, yeah, they're a very interesting company. Unreal is like this really fascinating, powerful thing that touches a lot of things, but consumers don't really see. So it's a little wonky. But, I mean, if you're talking about like metaverse, like this is actually like the toolkit, right? This is actually Mm -hmm. the thing. Like meta, the company does not have anything remotely like this. I just So I think it's interesting. Did we, uh, did we, I don't know if we talked about this last week. Um, Unity, the other big game studio, just bought Weta Digital, which was right. Peter Jackson's special effects house, for $1.6 billion. And like, that's Lord of the Rings and Avatar and Shang-Chi. Like, you can just see where it's going. Mm-hmm. The, the, the game engines are now getting good enough to do the special effects everywhere. Mm-hmm. 
And that's why there was a story about Epic hiring a, a head of um, film and like scripted entertainment. And I kind of got at this with the CTO that they're going to start doing games that are also movies using Fortnite, using other things because UE5 allows them to just use these assets across mediums, which it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a new thing for sure. Now I feel like a genius for telling people to watch Red versus Blue when I was like in the early 2000s. Right. This this is a dumb sitcom that takes place in Halo is the future of entertainment. I said to no effect at the bar, but I was right. <laughs> it always comes back uh, around. <laughs> I'm just excited that uh, all of this means that within the next, well, let's be let's be realistic. Within the next ten years, we'll get rid of QuickTime events that are just you know pre-rendered cutscenes where you hit a the button at the right time. I didn't know this, but apparently all the Fortnite commercials are shot in Fortnite, like oh, in yeah. real time. And, and so like, they're already doing this. He's like, we just stage it in the game and we shoot it. And like, we may like touch up things and make the characters look a little shinier, but like they're already doing this. And like part of this matrix thing is like, there's a car chase scene where the camera's like going under the car and around the car. And like, that was all done in the engine, right? They didn't like have cars out on the street that they then tracked and brought into UE five. Like, so it's, we're getting into weird uncharted territory. So one of the, the reasons I asked about Gemini Man, which by the way is a horrible movie. <laughs> it's not even an airplane movie. It's like it's not even an air, it's like unwatchably bad. Yeah, there there are these uh, really hilarious like YouTube clips where people. I think Gemini Man was actually like shot in 120 frames per second and like released that way. But there are these YouTube channels that like upres things into higher frame rates, so you can go watch Gemini Man at like 120 frames per second on YouTube. And it looks, I mean, it looks like a bad video game. It's like, there's no way to describe it. Just go watch it. It's like horrifying. But a big piece of that puzzle, the, a big piece of that story when that movie came out was there was now a model of young Will Smith. And like, who was going to own the digital character model of young Will Smith? And what could that model be made to do? And who right. owned it? And like, if... The young Will Smith model acts in a new movie. Does Will Smith get paid? Did you get into any of that with with Keanu and Carrie Ann? Yes, we did. And apparently Keanu saw this coming like decades ago and has forever had in his contract where he has to approve any use or edits to his digital likeness in any format. Um, And he's like, this is happening. Like we're having these conversations in Hollywood about like it's almost like estate planning is like, what are you going to do with your digital likeness? And he's like, in like Marilyn Monroe's in a Coke commercial. And, you know, he was talking about how Marlon Brando was with Superman was talking about this already like decades ago. And so, yeah, I, um, I do think it's something that's like on celebrities minds is like, uh, how do I license my likeness? And, you know, like I asked him, so the matrix did this NFT thing for the new movie and the site like crashed after the first like hour and there were 300,000 people in the queue for like 100,000 NFTs at 50 bucks a pop and Keanu and Carrie Ann were not NFTs for this so they obviously did not approve the use of their likeness but (laughs) yeah they thought that was interesting and Keanu was like do we get a cut of that it's like oh probably not um but he was like it's all capitalism man you know like it's uh (laughs) That's all I want. Yeah. If that's what if that's what you got out of your time with them, then mission accomplished. <laughs> One of my favorite copyright cases I ever read in law school was uh, Vanna White v. Samsung Electronics. I think that's the case caption. Samsung had an ad for like washing machines where a robot like turned letters, like Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, 
and Vanna White was like, that robot looks is too much like me. You're using my likeness. And that's an unauthorized use of me, Vanna White. And it's like a robot. And she won. <laughs> like, that's amazing. And my law professor was like, yeah, it's a California case. Like California, like the California courts are always inside with Hollywood. Like it was like open and in his mind. It was open and shut. Yeah. Like the corrupt California courts have once again taken the side of big Hollywood. Um, but it's like that was ages ago. And now we're all the way to there's a digital Keanu Reeves that is contractually obligated to only do what Keanu Reeves wants. It's pretty good. You did some other, I mean, you're a senior metaverse reporter, Alex. E. <laughs> oh, God. That's your, that's your title, right? You also, I mean, you had a big week. You also saw snaps, AR spectacles. You got to try them on. Yeah. They're they're They seem very prototypey to me. Oh, very prototypey. I mean, the battery lasts for 30 minutes. The first pair they gave me overheated after less than 10. Um, <laughs> mm. They had like four on site that they tried to like seamlessly swap out as I tried different lenses, um, you know, which are snaps AR effects so that I never noticed the battery. Definitely the best software on any AR glasses I've used. You can tell they've thought a lot about the interface. There's like this carousel you see through your eyes and it's a touch thing and there's voice. The thing that is the most promising on these that I think probably won't be cool for several more years is a scan button. I did another video thing on our site about a month or two ago about this in the Snapchat app. It's like visual search, right? Google Lens. It's their stab at this. Um, and they're working with a lot of other developers right now. But I scanned a, a plant, you know, with my glasses and it recommended some plant-based lenses. And like you expand that out a few years and you're walking around and you can just search anything. I mean, it's it's going to be wild. And they also like they're doing like mapping to your clothing where like a, a, a AR jacket will drape like it would naturally. Imagine putting that on someone, you know, through your glasses or making them their, your emoji, right? Like there's just so <laughs> many ways that this is going to get trippy. But yeah, definitely a prototype. But they're being like oddly humble about it, especially considering like the way that the first spectacles were hyped beyond belief and they ended up uh, sitting on 40 million in unsold inventory that they had to write <laughs> off. Um, they're just not selling these. They're giving them to um, hundreds of AR creators just to try and play with. And it's it's really a learning thing for them. And I think that's really smart because if these things were sold to the public, they'd probably cost thousands of dollars. And everyone would be like, what the hell? This thing dies after 30 minutes. Um, what, what's so. the field of view like? It's so narrow. That's the thing. Like They optimized for brightness and for color. And so, you know, maybe half of the frame is the waveguide is what you can actually see. And so I found that the lenses looked better in post on my phone seeing what I was seeing through the glasses than they did in the glasses because I had wow. that full wide field of view. So once that gets there, once it fills that full kind of, this thing looks like a cyber truck on your face. So like once it fills <laughs> that wide kind of lens, it's going to be wild. I mean, it's... Um, it's going to take years, though, to get there. This really showed that well, battery and display are the two things that I don't yeah. know are going to be cracked so, for a while. Yeah, that the let's talk about the display for just a couple more minutes. I mean, I know the field of view is narrow, but was it good? I mean, the, them yeah. doing this outdoors is kind of a flex. Like, I've done HoloLens stuff. <sighs> Disclosure, my wife works for Meta uh, <laughs> on what's the division that is maybe called Oculus, maybe not. I don't know. Over there. Um, <laughs> but, like, would, was it good? Like, if if you were to just take yeah. the display that you had and give it a proper field of view, yeah. would you have been like, this is it, They've, it's it's there? Or does it still feel, like, weird and pixelated and whatever? No, it wasn't pixelated. It was – they have 2,000 nits of brightness in this thing, so it works oh, in wow. sunlight. 
um, which is why the battery dies and it overheats mm -hmm. after 10 minutes. But they're optimizing for visual richness so that people can make compelling AR experiences so that when the tech catches up, the software kind of pipeline's already there, which yeah. is another piece of this. They're being, I think, very smart about kind of seeding the developer ecosystem very early. Meta is not doing this, which I think is curious. But yeah, no, the display was probably the most impressive I've used on a standalone device. Again, this thing isn't tethered to anything for, for compute. Right. And the glasses were light. Like I didn't feel um, like they were heavy on my face or like I wanted to take them off after a few minutes. Like you could theoretically wear these all day and be fine. You'd look really weird, but you could. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of promise there. And you know, Snap is this kind of silent dark horse in these AR glasses metaverse wars where they were actually kind of the first to like think about this in a serious way. And they're just kind of quietly iterating now a little bit in public, which I think is interesting because they've been so secretive. But yeah, I mean, the display apparently is so good that they bought the supplier. That was one of our <laughs> mm. first uh, scoops that I did. Uh, Wave Optics, their largest deal ever for half a billion dollars just to get the kind of display tech locked for them. Um, so yeah, man, this is all, it's all starting to come together. I mean, it's definitely not compelling for consumers, but this was the first time doing one of these demos where I was like, in a few years, I can see this being really compelling. And it's going to kind of flip how we think about computing, I think. I have a big – I agree with you. Like the the part where you can see the software applications are way ahead of the hardware is utterly fascinating. That hasn't really happened in many other no. places. Like uh, you just like throw a dart at the board and think about some other hyped future hardware. Like – 3d tvs or like interactive tvs as a whole right like you're going to be shopping on your tv or you're gonna be watching all the live cameras from a foot like none of that has come to pass it's all just streams like the software even though the hardware and the service ecosystems are there the software is just kind of where it always was in this case the hardware is nowhere near close but everyone already has a pretty clear picture of what it should be and the basics of like, we're going to point a camera at a thing and then do some computer stuff and then layer some information or experiences over that thing. That picture is really clear. So you can already like Apple's already doing it. Snap is already doing it. Snap's already doing it on Apple's phones. Like you can see, but the hardware is really far away. And these lenses, though, these lenses are getting smart. So you can have links and lenses now for the first time that kick out to like a store. So if a creator makes like a something for their shoe, you can just go buy it in the lens. Um, there's music from all the labels in there. They're bringing in outside apps for the first time. So you can have like FTX crypto trading in a lens or AccuWeather. <laughs> oh you can pump in like the temperature into a lens. So they're starting to become interactive in real time where before they were these static kind of more artsy things. Yeah, it's like they were saying someone has spent two years making a lens that can measure anything. Like, And there's another one that can tell you if your surfboard is a good surfboard based on its contours. And uh, so they're just coming up with all these wild things that once we have these glasses, like it's it's going to be cool. I won't give too much away because it, it won't be up by the time you listen to this. But Niantic CEO John Hankey is on Decoder next week. Niantic makes Pokemon Go. They have a big partnership with Qualcomm to make smart glasses. They've got a reference design floating around. I fell down an absolute research rabbit hole of how these displays work before I talked to him. They're all kind of the same, right? You get like there's two tiny LCD displays in the stems of the glasses, and then there's a reflector, and there's a bunch of mirrors or not mirrors. There's a bunch of coatings or etchings on layers waveguides yeah yeah to bounce that display onto your eyes 
And so I, you know, I, I just pushed him. I was like, is this it? Is like, can I go, am I going to go from here to here? I see the first ever LCD display on a primitive smartphone. And I know in my mind, this technology is really important. Soon LCDs will take over every display in the world with some OLEDs on the side, right? Like, is this the technology bet or is it, this is the best we got and maybe something else will come up. And he was like, this is it. Like this, this waveguide technology will, it will get to where we want it to go, which I guess if you're like in the partnership with Qualcomm, yeah. you're shipping waveguide, like maybe that's what you say, but snap made that big investment and bought that company. It makes waveguides. There are HoloLens is wave. Like it's magically supposed to make something else. And they ended up at waveguides. Like yeah. it's what we got. I don't know because again, HoloLens has been around and like it's wacky waveguides. With an LCD, you're like, okay, get better at the manufacturing process. The LCD gets bigger and more responsive. Like there's like a hardware improvement arc there. And I don't, I am not smart enough to know is it what the hardware improvement arc for a waveguide is. Is it just like we get better and better at etching until we can finally make them big enough? My understanding is these things are constrained by size and battery and like thermodynamics more than anything. Like these waveguides okay. can power, there's a reason magically raised $2 billion. It's because they had people look into a thing called the beast that was the size right. of a closet that had <laughs> all the computing it needed to power this thing appropriately. So when they have that, they can do incredible things already. It's just getting it into a form factor. This is what Zuckerberg has talked about with me and Casey, like getting that form factor is, is the hard part. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but the beast, um, it's just like the best quote ever. Uh, the sea of magic leap was like, we're hacking the GPU of your brain. And what, what he meant was they're going to send light into your eyes in a way that mimics reality. That isn't just an emissive flat plane. Wave guys are just a flat plane of light, right? It's just all the electronics are in the stems of the glasses and it's bouncing the light through the, so Dieter, your question, like if you watch, there's like lots of like trade industry presentations from waveguide suppliers. And I'm telling you, I fell deep into a hole <laughs> and like all their presentations are like, here's our process. Here's where the cost is. Here's where the cost is coming down. And they're trying to convince you basically that they're using standard glass making screen making techniques to make this next generation of waveguide pieces of glass. The actual mm -hmm. display is still just like a tiny little LCD in the, in the stems of the glasses. Right. They're just bouncing it in front of your eyes with these waveguides that they're still expensive. So like they're trying to make that cheaper, but they haven't, I don't know. I don't know that it's the bet. Like it feels like it's the resistive touchscreen of the AR world, you know, that can get you there. And then someday Steve jobs is going to show up with like the capacitive touchscreen iPhone and everyone's going to be like, Oh, <laughs> that's what we well, should have done. This is a good segue to Apple because there is a continuum here where the waveguides and the AR glasses are happening on one side of this. That's definitely several years out at minimum till we have that at scale. What's happening in the near term, and I think 2022 will be the year of, is pass through mixed reality, proper LCD, whatever it's going to be, no waveguides, but basically tricking you by piping in video of the outside world and mixing it with the graphics. And that's what Apple's going to do. It's what Meta's got with Cambria, um, which is this headset they're working on for next year. Um, and I think that's going to really show people um, that there is something, there's like a stopgap before we get to AR glasses and it's that mixed reality pass-through experience. Yeah, and I, I think that's the, like the, the reason Apple's doing pass-through video in a VR headset and potentially why Meta's doing it too is because Apple cannot ship glasses with a teeny tiny field of view that get really hot. 
they, they've got a ship of fin like their brand is finished consumer products. And that core technology of a piece of a display that you can look through is just like what we got is waveguide. And like, I encourage everyone, like if you're a huge nerd, you'll see the shit, like go look at how waveguides were. It's neat. It's super cool. But at the end of the day, it's like you're wearing the entire HoloLens on your head and you've got like a posted stamp in the middle of your field of vision. That's like, put the spark plug in the ATV. <laughs> you're like, this is not that great. <laughs> I think it's really neat. Like we're just in a place now. I, I think it's fascinating that every software developer is like ready for this. And the hardware is just like years, like five at least out from what I can tell. The other thing, the other little decoder preview I'll give you, you were talking about how Snap has filters and like everyone could be wearing different clothes. So I was like, how are you going to govern reality? Like, and John Hankey was like, I don't know, everyone can just pick and choose. Like, what if we all just like, it's like, I don't govern what song you listen to and you walk down the street. Why should I, why should I govern what you're looking at? And he was just like, there's going to be a marketplace of realities. This is my new phrase. It's going to be terrifying. Put that on a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be great. All right. We should take a break and we should come back. There's a, there's like a lot of streaming needs to talk about. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. There is like a lot of... How would you describe this? Low stakes streaming drama? Low stakes streaming drama and like news that seems unimportant but actually could be massively important. Yeah. It's yeah. like it's it's that. It's like we're gonna have to convince you that a lot of these things are important. <laughs> <laughs> so buckle up. Uh let's start the Keanu Reeves Carrion Moss video happened because of the game awards. They're announcing the Unreal stuff there, but Google's announcing some stuff at Game Awards too, which is by the way, we are recording this before the game awards happen but you're listening to it after they've happened. Right. So imagine there we're, we're just assuming there's like huge game streaming news and and, and we're reacting to that. It's amazing. It's going to change everything. We don't know. <laughs> but there's some like Google news coming. Yeah, well this isn't streaming, but uh, apparently Google Play Games is going to be available on Windows. So it's like Android apps on Windows. Here we go. And uh, it's interesting instead of just bringing the whole of Google Play Android apps, they're bringing Google Play Games, which is a fascinating decision. Are they bringing that into Microsoft's weird Android app universe? Unclear. What do you mean by that? Like Microsoft's starting to deal with Amazon to use the Amazon App Store to get Android apps on Windows. 
Right. But then they were also like, you can use any app store you want. So are they building like a special Windows Google Play games? Yeah, they're making Google Play games, a Google Play games store where you can download and install Android games for Windows. And that's running inside of the Windows Android app compatibility, not some weird new Google layer. Well, so that is a little bit unclear because it's like Google isn't like partnering with Microsoft to make this happen. They're just doing it. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to go great. Yeah. Okay. So that's one thing. We'll see how that goes. You can see how Google just needs to diversify its revenue base as all of the app store drama continues Mm -hmm. to go like getting more of its game stuff out in the world is I think good for Google. Like, Apple would love this to be happening on the Mac. I just don't think they're ever going to convince any game developer to take the Mac seriously. Even the game developers on the iPhone are like, why? Maybe with like, as M1 chips become more widespread, game developers will make the easy jump to games on the Mac, but it just kind of hasn't happened yet. Well, I mean, the whole question with games right now is like, what is the future of like the platforms that you're going to be thinking about? Like what the games run on? Because... They keep making Android games. That seems to like, you know, I, I now believe that Android gaming phones exist and have a purpose. I've been convinced. By who? Just looking at the world, looking at the market, looking at the Chinese market. Like okay, they don't, they, they're not making them for no reason. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. There's, of course, the various streaming platforms. Uh, there's Windows. There's Xbox. There's PlayStation. There's like the various versions of Xbox and it's streaming. Stadia now runs on LG TVs. Yes. So <laughs> the thing that's interesting about that to me is, well, of course it does. It's just a, like, it's just a video stream. Yeah. So when I'm like, the, it's potentially a big deal. It's like the, the rules of how you think about what your screen can do are changing. Like they were changing slowly and now they're changing really quickly. So whether or not you can just play uh, console quality games on your LG TV was just a matter of when did they get around to creating the, you know, casting endpoint app for WebOS. It's actually not that difficult. And I just, I don't know, like, where that's going to shake out. Uh, Are you going to care where your game comes from? Are you going to care if it's local or streaming? And the, the fact that it's, it's just a question of, like, who's gotten around to building a client for the thing. This Mm -hmm. even applies to, like, Google Play games on Windows is really interesting. Uh, so, like, honestly, this kind of leads us up to talking about the Roku YouTube drama a little bit, I think. Yeah, although they did settle it this week. So yeah. Roku and Google were about to sue each other. Like, they had sued each other. They just hadn't gotten very far. They, Roku was going to kick YouTube off its platform. Google had done some shady stuff on other platforms. They built YouTube TV into the YouTube app. Because you can't yep. get rid of the YouTube app. But they were at the kind of the brinksmanship point. They were going to walk. They were going to pull YouTube from Roku. Which they were like, going to pull YouTube from Roku. And I got to say, the arguments were dumb. Like, if you read, <laughs> like, Roku put all these blog posts and, like, whatever. Like, the arguments they were having were when you push the Roku voice search button and the YouTube app is open, mm-hmm. what voice search should you go to? Yeah. Okay. And Google was like, Google, like, ours. And Roku was like, no, the operating systems. Yeah. By the way, they won that from like Samsung on like my, my Samsung frame TV, the microphone button. Like it's a Google button. It's a Google assistant button. But yeah. when you're in the YouTube app, it ceases to be a Google assistant button <laughs> and it becomes a YouTube search button. Yeah. I mean, I, th- these arguments are like, they're very Vergecast arguments. Like, what do you think the, should the native control supersede the application's control? Right. 
And like there were other ones where if you had the YouTube app open and you search for a movie using Roku voice search, the native Roku voice search would pull movies from the applications that supported its library. Right. And so like Google's big complaint was like, this movie is available for free on YouTube. You should be showing users that, which sounds great. But also if you're in the YouTube app, like you should just use you like it none of it made sense with like how actual people use their software. Mm-hmm. Like it all just seemed like little corner cases of what the buttons on your remote did if the YouTube app was open. And yet, like, it just seems like Google believes that people open the YouTube app and live in it 24 hours a day when they watch TV, which maybe people do, but does not seem that likely when you're searching for, like, a Disney movie. (laughs) I got to say, hearing you guys talk about all this makes me think there should just be some good old-fashioned consolidation in this industry. (laughs) (laughs) Hasn't there been enough? And then there's there's, like, ad money in the background, right? Right. Well, and so this is like there's this like great inversion where you uh, you you tweet about this, Neil. I'm stealing your idea, but like it used to be that like what you could play on your screen, whether it's a game or a video, or whatever, was like really dependent on who your service provider was, what the screen's capabilities was, you know, what platform you picked, et cetera. And now it's completely dependent on have some deals been made, and has someone like done some engineering work to make an app your app or not. Yeah, it is utterly, no one knows what the terms of this new deal are. It is a multi-year yep. deal. YouTube and YouTube TV will, like, stay on the Roku platform. It's funny, Rick, Roku is calling Google an unchecked monopolist throughout all this. Because when, when they, like, threaten to kick YouTube TV off, the whole, like, money dispute is that Roku hardware is extraordinarily cheap, right? It's like 30 bucks, 20 bucks. They don't, they're not making any money on that hardware. All they make money on is when you sign up, just like in any other app store, when you sign up for Disney Plus, they get a cut, right? They get a bounty of that of that sign up. When Hulu runs an ad on the Roku, like either those ads are served by Roku ad services or Roku gets a cut. Like those, that, that's just like the app store itself. When when any commerce happens in an app, Apple wants a cut. When any advertising or subscription happens on a Roku, Roku gets a cut, and that's how they subsidize all the hardware. This is the economics of every TV, by the way. Like. The LG. The reasons TVs are cheap is because all of the money is made through ongoing transactions. Like the story of adding a chip to things and then making them connected is so that they can just like charge you for the rest of your life. <laughs> that's that's really what's happening. But that's totally backwards, right? You used to pay your cable company, and then the cable company would pay ESPN. Yeah. Now you're paying Disney, and Disney is paying Roku. Right. And like, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's. It's clear Roku sees itself as like, you're not going to get another TV box or have 50 TV boxes. You're going to have one. Right. And that one should have all the apps you want. And if you want to be on that one, you have to meet their terms to show up in the interface in front of other people. And the one thing they can't get rid of is YouTube. So when they kick YouTube TV off, they're like, screw it, you're gone. But then Google can add YouTube TV to YouTube because they can't kick <laughs> YouTube off. Like, aren't they? They're like both monopolists in that way. Like Roku controls most of the streaming platform business in the country Mm -hmm. i don't know anyway it's over we have no idea what this deal is a bunch of people i don't know smoke cigars on zoom and came to terms it's shady we'll see yeah Um, but they're back but so in theory a couple years from now all this is gonna get shaken up again so jennifer patterson tui on our site basically broke the news that there is 
a part of a standard for matter. So matter is the connected home over IP standard. We're going to have a whole Vergecast about this on Tuesday. So buckle up for that. We're going to talk about this. But because Jennifer published this story today, I wanted to talk about it briefly. So there's a part of the spec called Matter TV that I don't think most people realize was going to be part of the smart home standard. And it's basically just universal casting, uh, either from app to app or app to TVs once they're there, that all of these big companies have agreed, oh, yeah, if you want to tell your screen to play a video, this standard will be supported. So it can replace AirPlay, it can replace Google Cast, it can replace whatever weird stuff Samsung does. Amazon is like written the spec because they really need it because people have <laughs> Echo devices, but they don't necessarily have Fire TVs. Um, but it's like part of the spec. And so like casting might actually not suck next year or beginning next year. Oh, I don't think Doubt it. Apple or Google are walking away from their standards. Well, no, but they're not walking away from their standards, but this standard will also be supported. And they are part, they like signed off on the spec. So if you have a TV that supports matter, it will support having this casting standard hit it. I mean, that's fair. I just don't think, I don't think this casting standard will end up in iOS for years to come. No, this is going to fail for sure. I, I mean, it could. <laughs> it probably will. Why do you think it'll fail? Because no, like we, everything you all were just saying, like this entire, there's so much infighting right now. Mm -hmm. In this space, everyone wants to own their layer and their their system and their substrate of the TV experience. And yeah. uh, some startup or whatever, there's, there's no way. There's no way. Yeah. So, be but able to we're going to get into this next week. But like they have walked away from that walled garden fight in the smart home. Everyone's like, we have hit the ceiling. We can't make any more money. We can't grow this plot. They, I'm telling you, the matter shit just. It, everything is like interoperating yeah. and it's going to work locally. It is based on like equal parts from all of these big tech companies and they're all, you know, it'll fall. It's a standard. It'll probably fall apart. But like, it seems like you're like your doorbell is just going to work and it's not going to be locked into a walled garden anymore if it supports matter and you're going to want it to support matter because then, you know, it's easier to buy stuff. I just, and if the matter TV thing gets like brought in with that spec as like a Trojan horse, that could be interesting. All I want to do is go to a hotel and be able to cast my phone to the TV yeah. and and not have to worry about, is it a Chromecast? Is it an Apple TV? Usually I can't stream my iPhone because it's like Chromecast. And it's just yeah. something yeah. that fixes all that. Yeah, that's that's going to be a trillion dollar company for sure. That's the, I mean, that's the matter spec is they, if, if the thing supports it and it will see it locally and it will either cast it locally from your phone or it'll like... Just tell it the URL that it needs to go grab from the internet. Yeah. The promise is that it, it'll all work. We'll see what it actually turns out to be. But I am very optimistic about the smart home side of it. And the fact that there's like a TV side being like brought in alongside that is fascinating. Well, you know, it's interesting. So Apple didn't make a TV, which they should, instead of a car. <laughs> Just putting that out there. Continue to put that energy out in the world. Make a TV, not a car. Seems, seems more in your lane. You get it? No, that's terrible. That's that's my line. Come on. Um, I apologize to everyone. But when they put the Apple TV app everywhere, they gave everybody AirPlay. It came along for the ride. Mm -hmm. So now every TV has AirPlay and Chromecast. So now you got a third one. I, if they don't get like Samsung and, and LG, which are like Vizio, right? Like I don't think Vizio is part of Matter. But Samsung, TCL, Panasonic, and LG are all in Matter. Mm. That's a lot of TVs that might support this thing. Yeah, we'll see. I, I have high hopes. What I didn't see here anywhere was like, we're going to make remote controls better. 
<laughs> Which no one on. seems at all like interested in doing. There's only so many problems technology can solve, Eli. That's true. Okay, can I can I, can I go down my rabbit hole of my streaming revenue rabbit hole? Oh, is this a Spotify comedian thing? Yeah. So there's okay. this uh, there's this group that represents a bunch of comedians called uh, Spoken Giants, which is a great name. Yeah. And so they have this new theory that they're arguing with Spotify about that resulted in Spotify removing a bunch of tracks from comedians like Kevin Hart, Tiffany Haddish, Sean Mulaney, Jim Gaffigan, all off Spotify. So they've got this idea that the written jokes now constitute one work and the performance of the jokes are another work. And they should get yeah. paid. Right. So it's like songwriters get one royalty stream and performers get another. Often the songwriters and the performers are the same person. They get paid twice. This is like, there's like inventing a new, a new revenue stream because streaming revenue is so low that everyone's like trying to find new money. So comedians have like come up with this new lobbying group, Spoken Giants, to say that they're not only just like telling jokes, but they're writing jokes and then performing the jokes. And so the, they should get the streaming revenue for the audio recording and the publishing revenue for the jokes themselves, which is just a wild way of thinking about comedians telling jokes. Because, for example, songwriters assume multiple people will perform their songs over time. Mm-hmm. Comedians do not like no one does like cover joke albums. <laughs> like it's just oh, like not a thing that that's pretty good. <laughs> like can you imagine like, oh, hang on, doing though. like an entire John Mulaney cover album? Wait, like TikTok is full of cover jokes of just people lip syncing comedy routines. But they're doing it to the audio. Sure, but like it's a performance. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't actually could... have any idea how the TikTok licensing works. Yeah. I've always been fascinated by that. I just think it's the pressure on the people who make the content for Spotify, the revenue pressure on everybody is so high because the payouts are so low that like they're inventing this new concept, which would imply that you should be able to like do a, an album of joke covers. Put it on the blockchain. Put them on the oh, blockchain. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. Uh, Ashley, who writes Hot Pod, she and I are just like staring at this being like, is this going to work? Like Spotify just was like, no. And she's like kicked him off. Yeah. Because Spotify doesn't need a bunch of joke albums. <laughs> like they're fine. But it's like fascinating to me to see like all of these ways because the money has gotten so bad. Yeah. That artists are creating new. That's NFTs. That's why every artist is doing NFTs. Um, but it's also like we're going to create a new royalty structure for comedy out, out of nothing. I think we should do this for the Verge cast. We should get paid once for performing it and paid. And oh, wait, we don't write it. Never mind. We we're writing we it. Prepare. We're writing we it as we go. We're contemporaneously <laughs> writing this. What is IP, but <laughs> what is IP? What is IP, but what we say? If someone wants to do a full cover of this episode of the Verge cast, I will, <laughs> you have to call us. I'll write you a contract. <laughs> on we the blockchain it'll be cheap it, it won't cost a lot of money but it'll be ironclad that you have to perform this vergecast word for word it'd be like 10 bucks if you want to just we'll figure it out <laughs> like a screenplay of this vergecast looking at last little things apple music is they got that weird voice plan for the the home pods this is what I mean, that like the capabilities of your device are dictated by weird-ass backroom contracts, not by what the capabilities of the device are. This right. voice plan is dumb and annoying, and I hate it. And it's just because the record labels gave the same plan to Amazon. Yeah. Well, it's like what enables your smart speaker, right? You, you want to say play some music to a smart speaker that can't be – and you don't want to do a deal with Spotify. Right. So you like make your own deal for like cheap streaming just for 
the smart speaker. It's like five bucks a month, right? Four bucks a month. Yeah. Yeah. It's super cheap. It's weird. And then uh, Sonos is now supporting Amazon Music Ultra HD and Dolby Atmos on the new beam that supports Atmos and the Arc. I got. I just want to say I got a piece of physical mail from Amazon asking me if I want to try Amazon Music. Amazing. Um, the other day, and I was like, that says a lot about Amazon Music. <laughs> yeah, that's my only thought there. We're quickly getting to a place, by the way, where the combination of the service you subscribe to and the headphones you have has meaningful implications for what music you listen to. Like you've got to have an Atmos service and Sonos speakers to listen to Atmos music from Amazon. Mm -hmm. But your Apple AirPods, which supports spatial audio, there's no way to listen to Atmos music from Amazon. It's just like, it's nuts. Like it happened. The bad thing happened. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. It could be a lot worse. We could be paying gas fees every time we listen to a song. I mean, don't put that energy into the world, man. What are you it's doing? It's going to be happening. There's a New York Times article this week, like a choice. The New York Times is on it article about how uh, wired headphones are trendy again. Yeah. Do you see it? And I was like, yeah. I did it. This was me. Like the number of people who were like, you got your wish. And I was like, they're still lightning headphones. Like, <laughs> great. Uh, all right. We got to take a break. And we got just a, uh, the lightning round to end all lightning rounds coming up. We'll be right back. Last week, Kanye West accused one of the biggest Twitch streamers of being an industry plant. It's an idea that comes up so often on platforms like TikTok and elsewhere. You see people who have blown up seemingly overnight, and the question is, who's behind them, right? That's what everyone wants to know. Tipping the scales and pulling the lever to make them seemingly the next it thing on the internet. This week on Power User, is it even possible to create an industry plant on the internet? And if so, how? Okay, we're back. We got there's like a chunk of Android Lightning Round news. You just want to go through it, Dieter? Yeah. So uh, Google has a, a big update for Pixel for Android 12 that has got a bug fix list that is just three miles long. Just <laughs> super, super. And like, you know, there's always like the like patch after the release where it's kind of big, but this one in particular is like, oh. The, the the pixel as reviewed is not the one that they were hoping to get out the door. Like there's so many fixes in this thing. It also includes the the launch feature where you're gonna be able to tap the snap where you can double tap the thing and use the snap camera even though you're still on the lock screen. And then immediately on the heels of that, there's an Android 12L beta, L for large screens, I guess. Yeah. You can install it on a pixel if you want to for some reason. Wait, you can? Yeah. It's cause. But it's meant for emulators. There's like a Lenovo tablet that you can install it on if you want to see what it looks like. But it's clearly designed for folding phones, right? And maybe they'll make another go at tablets um, because they did the thing they should have done, which is like put a proper dock on it, make rearranging Windows via drag and drop part of the system level thing and not a hack that Microsoft and Samsung have to create. You know, like fix the notification drop down control panel drop down thing so it actually fills the screen instead of being ridiculous like the phone. They've made Android not terrible on big screens, or at least they're taking a couple of steps in that direction. But there's just there's no big screens to put it on. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, like like there's the Kindles, there's like some random Samsung tablets. Huawei makes some stuff, but like it's not here. Um, and then there's like the one Lenovo tablet that is I think really only selling like the UK. So I think it's interesting. I'm glad they're doing the thing that they should have done a while ago to normalize the UI on 
Microsoft's two-screen thing and Samsung's mm-hmm. folding and whatever else is coming. But it's also, like, a pretty clear sign that, yeah, they're, they're still working on a Pixel Fold. Yeah, I mean, isn't everybody? Like, yeah. I feel like we talked about, like, waveguides and AR, but, like, also in the background, everybody is trying to make a folding phone work. Right? I'm Why? sure Apple has, like, dozens of folding phone prototypes. Why? Literally, who wants this? Because it's awesome. I want this. It's great. It's the best. <sighs> I've, I've been carrying around an iPad mini at home lately instead of just my phone. It's like a tiny phone and an iPad mini. And it's lovely to have a little a little device with a big screen. And, I, you know, I bought a Fold, bought a Fold 2. I've uh, been using that for a while. Uh, I'm telling you, man, like, big screens are great. Yeah. Like, big screens are great. No, I and get if you that. Can I, get a big screen in your pocket. That's great. I love the Pro Max, and I guess you're saying folding makes that also compact, right? That's the promise of it. Makes it a little bit smaller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I also just think everybody knows that new form factors sell, and so yeah, like, you can yeah. deliver an actual folding phone that works without any of the compromises. And then, you know, Samsung's already iterated its way through some of the compromises. A lot of the compromises they've been You just get to like yeah. make that ad and be like, look, this iPhone folds in half. And like people will just instinctively buy it. Yeah. Like I don't think they're they're trying to solve a huge problem. I think they yeah. they can just see a they can just see a product that people will instinctively understand. Uh, the other pixel news is apparently the mail-in repair warehouse that they were using. Yeah, this is crazy. Was like people were mailing their pixels in to get repaired and then the, like their nudes leaked. Yeah. Um, so that's horrible. And I want to tell you that like PSA, never send your phone in for repair without wiping it first. But like, if the thing is broken and you can't like use the screen to wipe it, then like you're, you kind of have no choice to send it in before you wipe your data in a lot of cases. So yeah, not cool. That's all. It's like, what other advice can there be except to say not cool? Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, we talk about the pixel and like what it what Google needs to do. Like they need to market it. They need to sell a lot of them. The back half of the story of owning these devices is like service and support. Right. And this is why we always recommended Samsung phones over pixels for many years, even though we tend to prefer using pixels more ourselves, because for the average person, you can walk to a, you know, sprint store. If you use sprint and be like, fix my Samsung. And they'll be like, okay. Yeah. Or or more likely they'll be like, your contract is up in three months. Would you like a new Samsung? But like, also, what is how how sad is it that I I still in my in my in my world Sprint still exists? <laughs> Just occurred to me. Uh, Timo was running those ads for free phones, and they, <laughs> they keep mentioning Sprint customers too. I don't know if you've seen these ads. They're like, everyone gets a free phone, including Sprint customers. I'm like, you own Sprint, like you shut it down. Who are you talking to? <laughs> it's gone. It went away. Did you see this Microsoft bug on? I can't tell. I don't know if it's a Microsoft bug or a Google <sighs> bug. But if you had Teams installed on an Android phone, mm-hmm. it would occasionally prevent you from calling nine one one. Yeah. Well, so the the phone app lets other apps plug into it. The iPhone does this too, right? And so, so there must be something where the Teams app wants to show up in your call log, and that messed with that. But that sh- this should never happen. Like that that needs to be like the phone app. There should be like an ironclad, you know, secure enclave around that sort of functionality. It's ridiculous. So you, you wait. You, you think that they were trying to call nine one one and it was routing it through Teams, and so like the the nine one one dispatcher was like getting a message. It was like, please install Microsoft Teams. All, all I'm saying is that it's growth uh, hacking at its finest. That that the Microsoft software could have touched Google software, and so like something there went wrong. Yeah. Other phone stuff. Uh, this five G story with the FAA is getting more and more complicated by the day. So now the FAA. The FAA was 
unhappy with the FCC and with the, the telecom companies. So AT&T and Verizon agreed to delay some of their 5G rollout mm-hmm. on certain bands to solve these FAA problems. And now the FAA is saying some flights in some weather conditions should not land using instruments alone if the pilots can see the runway right. because of 5G interference. Like it, but then AT&T and Verizon also promised, I think, to lower power around airports or something. And these flight, th- these rules only apply to like certain equipment um, yeah. that a lot of people want replaced anyway. It's like, bleh. I will just say this. The <laughs> This is, I mean, it's... You know, we usually see this with like the FTC and the DOJ like fighting over who's going to sue a big company. Yeah, the FCC and the FAA have like clearly not talked. <laughs> like the FCC's entire job is to manage spectrum in this country. Yeah, and yes, like they only just got a chair when Jessica Rosen Porcel was officially confirmed by the Senate like two days ago. But they're still they're still deadlocked. They don't. There's not the fifth. But they don't need a vote for this stuff. Like the votes that we care about, that we pay attention to, are like net neutral, like big policy stuff. Yeah. Like mostly, the FCC is full of engineers and lawyers whose job it is to just figure this stuff out. Right. And it's nuts that it's we're this far into the five G cycle, and the FAA is like, oh, there's going to be a problem with planes, so like maybe thousands of flights can't land. Look, Neil, I, sometimes when you're in a race. Some people get left behind. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the telecom lobbyists are out of control mad at, about this. And sort of like the FCC people are, are like, why don't you tell us about this earlier? So we'll see what happens. <laughs> but it's, I don't know, there, there's something wacky here where like maybe it was just the race. Mm-hmm. But in effect, what is happening is the big AT&T and Verizon mid-band rollouts are being affected by the FAA. Yeah. And we'll just see where that goes. Um, did you see this Verizon story? So, yes. And it's like, this This is my PSA moment. So there's this thing where Verizon has, they, they, Verizon already had this program called like Verizon like Up or something where it was really obvious that signing up for this to get a deal is definitely going to sign you up to have them collect more data. But they're doing it in an even skeezier way now with Verizon Custom Experience and Custom Experience Plus. And... It seems Alex really is obvious. shaking his head. Yeah, it's it's like, <laughs> come on. I mean, Verizon, you know, famous inventor of the super cookie, right? Yeah. What I believe is happening here is Verizon and a bunch of other companies are tur- – there, there's a story about this. I forgot what it was. Are they turning the knob up on all of their, like, customer loyalty programs and all of their, like, you know, sign up and give us some piece of information program to as high as they can go right now uh, in case – uh, this stuff with app tracking on iPhones and, mm-hmm. and you know, Chrome decides it's going to finally do something with Flock, although my money is on they're going to waffle for an extra two two years. You know, if the cookie apocalypse happens or if, you know, something with app tracking gets shut down, there was a weird story where, like, Apple was maybe letting people collect data on, you know, iPhone apps, blah, blah, blah. All of this stuff is really frothy right now, but, like, just don't sign up for anything. <laughs> That's my advice to you. So... The specific thing Dieter was talking about was for the Verizon Super Cookie ages ago mm-hmm. was Verizon at the network level would just track everything you did on the web yeah. using something called the Super Cookie. And you couldn't get rid of it. And if you had a Verizon phone, they were just building this profile of you. Everyone got mad. They turned off. I'm telling you that this is evidence that they're bringing it back. Yeah. No, for sure. Ver- like Verizon's entire media strategy. Remember, they bought AOL and Yahoo and they merged them into a company called <laughs> They spun out. Oh. And now uh, Yahoo got spun off again. And 
they just renamed Verizon Media. The company that was known as Verizon Media mm-hmm. is now just known as Yahoo Ad Tech. Yep. Like no, no hiding the ball. Like <laughs> the corporate entity that owns like TechCrunch and Engadget, which are great sites and run by great people, but like that corporate entity is now just known as Yahoo Ad Tech. Like zero hiding the ball, what they're doing. So now because apps can't track their data on the phone, Verizon can track your data on the network. Correct. And you've opted in because it's your carrier. You, it, right. You just signed whatever contract. You got a free phone. So Verizon has all this data about where you are, what your traffic is doing, what your interests are, what websites you're going to. And then they can then flip that into ad tracking profiles yep. and bypass all of the Apple stuff. The thing that throws a wrench in this is private relay is, is yeah. iCloud's uh, VPN type thing. It's not a VPN, yeah. but we'll call it that. And right. it's almost like Apple saw this coming. This is like fighting at what, how low in the stack of like the ability to block data tracking can you get? Apple's pretty down there, but then there's Verizon that's like, well, actually we can just sniff all your packets. And then Apple's like, well, hold on, we're going to put a wall up so you can't. So uh, I have a feeling this won't work is, is a roundabout way of saying that. Oh, I mean, uh, carrier software ideas, uh, it's a good bet. Yeah. But yeah. like both, this is what at t wanted to do with Warner Media. Like their stated purpose for buying Warner Brothers. Which is just ridiculous to think about. In ad hindsight. tracking and advertising. Yeah. There was just a study. Like there is a bunch of FCC noise lately because of Rosenworcel and Gigi Sohn is up for the other commissioner spot to break the 2-2 tie. And I think we, we talked about this with Russell last week. I don't know. I'll just recapitulate it. So Gigi okay. Sohn is up for the last spot in the FCC. Yep. And – uh, Fox News and the Wall Street Journal don't want her to be in the FCC, but OAN and, and Newsmax do because she yep. supports competition just like as a principle and they're the competitors, which is very funny. But so there are, there's all this noise about the FCC. But if you look at investment in networks themselves, capital expenditure in networks, when they got rid of net neutrality, the actual net investment in networks went down because all of the broadband companies started buying media. They went and bought Warner Media and they went and bought AOL they did all this stuff because they were like, we're going to monetize what happens on the networks because we can see the networks. And then all those ideas were inevitably bad. <laughs> so I don't know. I would just say like this, you can see what's happening. Like Apple turned off the cookie stuff. They turned off tracking. And now everyone else who has the ability to track is like lit this idea back up. Mm-hmm. Alex, you cover like a bunch, you know, like Snap had like bad earnings. Like oh, yeah. this is like hitting these companies in serious ways. Yeah, I mean, what's effectively happening is it's it's a lot of it is Apple in the in the private sector. A lot of it is actually coming from the EU in the public sector. So between Apple and the EU, and then Google, whatever the hell they're going to do, you effectively you could think of the internet today as like a, a a big series of interlocking webs, right? Where it was pretty easy for X company to sell sell data to another or even just tell them, hey, like we think this person is this and they corroborate. What's happening is Apple and the EU with this Digital Market Service Act that's coming out sometime are just taking scissors and cutting all those webs. And so everything's <laughs> becoming siloed. And um, we're in this like kind of adjustment, painful adjustment period, mostly brought on by Apple right now. But like the things that Facebook is doing where it's, you know, getting rid of ad targeting options, you know, where you can't, you no longer can target somebody based on their sexual orientation. That's actually motivated by laws that are coming in the EU that are Mm -hmm. just clamping down on targeting from a legal perspective. 
And so, yeah, everyone's building these. Um, there's a guy named Eric Sufrit, who's like a super smart ad tech guy who calls them content fortresses. But every app, and I, I wrote this <laughs> in our 10-year kind of package, like every app is going to become a super app where like instead of you going off app to purchase something, Facebook wants you to do shopping on Instagram because when you shop on Instagram, they know you bought it. Whereas if they kick you off to a website, there's no more cookie for them to say, oh, they came from our ad, therefore our ad worked. And yep. so um, this is going to reshape big parts of the internet for sure. And it already is starting to do that. Yeah. I'm just going to put an idea out there. If you're, um, if you're an Apple engineer, just want you to pull over in your car. <laughs> think about this problem of these super apps and everyone uh, trying to keep people inside their apps. Take a deep breath and realize in your heart that allowing in-app browsers was a mistake <laughs> and you should turn them off what? on your platform. In-app browsers are the worst. Give me my tabs. Give me my browser. Give oh, me I my see. extensions. Give me my own space where I'm in control of where I visit on the web. And don't make me bounce from the Twitter browser to Safari. Don't make me re-log in to the New York Times so I can read an article 15 times in every single app that happens to link to the New York Times. Just send them all to Safari. This isn't a problem on, on Chrome because they share cookies with the in-app browsers, but still, <laughs> I'm just saying, ban in-app browsers and you will go a long way towards solving this uh, super app tracking problem. Just they do it. They will end up back in court tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the death now. Okay, other lightning round stuff. Adam Masseri, head of Instagram, was in front of Congress. Facebook should just set up shop in DC at this point, move all their executives there. Or Meta, I'm sorry, Meta. But it's the first time for Adam in front of Congress. He said they're bringing back the chronological feed. What did you think of this hearing? Oh, my God. I mean, how many more of these are we going to have? It's like you know, forever. Casey had a great tweet about how, you know, it's like they just legislate through hearings, right? Like nothing actually happens. And it's all just a bunch of grandstanding. I mean, I think I tuned out of this hearing after like half of it because it was just – it's just incomprehensible. And it's like, you can just tell that this is all, it's all politically motivated. Like all of a sudden, all the senators care about our kids. And it's like, you know, it's all Meta's fault. And obviously there are problems here. I'm not trying to absolve them of all responsibility, but I just wish there was actual more. Um, I come back to like the fact that like the Honest Ads Act, which is a, re a response to 2016, like literally yeah. never happened. And it was like the only thing that, managed to even like get some kind of interest, uh, in Congress. And yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't think the American public really thinks these hearings are interesting or working. Like I would be shocked. I, I just don't really know who they're for except for donors and the media. Um, <laughs> and then when Mosseri says we're bringing chronological feedback, that's the actual news out of the entire, whatever, two or three hour hearing is like yeah. Instagram bringing back this thing they killed for no reason. I, I mean, it wasn't no reason, but that people hated that they killed years ago. So, but it's good. It's next year. Like, I'm sorry. Twitter moved faster than that. Twitter. <laughs> if you can't move as fast as Twitter, what are you doing? Well, you know, they, they're going through a lot over there. Okay. You know, they got a lot of people in the metaverse. Um, <laughs> it's funny because like that's Francis Haugen, you know, the, the Facebook whistleblower, that was her whole thing that her, her stump speech when she came out was like ban algorithms, like the chronological feed will fix integrity on the internet. And we're going to see if that works. Um, and I would not be shocked if like most people don't even use this when it comes out. Um, I don't think Twitter's chronological feed is heavily used. Um, That's what I use. 
Man, so you use? Wow. Yeah, of course. Man, I used to be a Twitter completionist too. So, I mean, my entire thing is that Twitter poisons your brain and we should all quit. Uh, so fair. I intentionally make my Twitter experience as broken as possible. That's fair. I mean, I remember being a tweet bot stand and like having to read every single tweet in my feed because it would show you the counter before you could refresh. And yeah. uh, I'm really glad those days are behind me. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know this whole like, should we all be chronological feeds or should we be algorithms? And I just, I don't know. They're doing this to appease the, the, the angry senators who, who care about our children. So I think that the angry senators, uh, you're correct about donors, but I think it, it does get them voters yelling at meta or Facebook or Instagram is like, it works for both parties because Republicans need like suburban women or what's, what's the, yeah, I, I, I think there's that. I like, I think this next year, you know, Howie is testifying there's assuming this next chunk of the Biden plan passes, which who knows if it will, the next set of attention is going to be back onto two thirty and social media regulation. Like we've heard both parties say they want to do it and there, there's going to be some meaningful, Oh shit. The first amendments in our way. It's just coming for them. Don't we say this every year though, that it's coming. Like again, Maybe. I come back to like the honest ads act, which was like a smart piece of like detailed niche focus legislation about like political ads like that went nowhere. So, I mean, you really think we're going to get to like meaningful section two thirty reform in a divided Congress? I think what's going to happen is the, the Florida social media bill will work its way through the courts, right? It got stayed. The Texas social media bill got stayed. Like as those things move their way through the courts, you're going to, and Congress like turns its, its election year. They're all going to start yelling about it. Like it's just easy money for a politician to be like, Facebook is bad. Sure. It's, it's just like, it's easy to be like, YouTube is poisoning your kids. We got to do something about it. If yeah. you reelect me to the United States Congress, my bill will make YouTube not censor conservatives. Like I, I could probably win a seat in upstate New York right tomorrow. If I just like ran around saying that, like it's convincing to a lot of people for reasons that make sense. Like, People do not have great relationships with these platforms. Our, didn't our didn't our survey say that was say that a little differently? They said they like the utility platforms. Yeah. So Google, Facebook, YouTube, which is uh, not Facebook. So Google and Amazon really really highly rated. Right, they provide an ongoing utility. It was like ninety eight percent approval in our survey. YouTube way up there because it, look, my refrigerator just broke. I watched a lot of YouTube yesterday trying to fix it. I failed. So now oh. my opinion of YouTube is very low. Um, <laughs> Did you break it further? Uh, my father-in-law is here, and he has spent the entire day just like tearing this thing to shreds. Oh boy! Just because it's something to do. It's, yeah, yeah. it's fifteen That's years great. old. The thing is yeah, dead. Yeah. It's it's not going to happen. Uh, supply chain crunch is real though. Buying a new refrigerator right now is a real problem. Anyhow, those are all the top, and then you get to Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and they're all way people like them way less. And I, I just think that's like easy money for politicians. I think it's coming. Something is some conversation is coming. And right at the center of it is a theme park, a theme park. <laughs> Either our government is going to tell, tell itself that the first amendment keeps it from regulating social networks, which is what the judicial branch is currently telling legislative branches, or that's going to change. Like those are the only two options. Or we're going to change the constitution. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think that conversation is coming this year, way next year. I do. And not in the, they'll pass a law, but in the two states have now made a run at it and run directly into the first amendment. And they're going to, the, those lawsuits are going to wind their way through the courts next year. Last few things, uh, speaking of lawsuits, 
Epic v. Apple, the deadline for Apple to allow links to external payments. And what about what about meta buttons? Meta those? buttons. <laughs> the deadline for Apple to allow metaverse buttons to to other payments <laughs> it was going to come, but the appeals court, which is unusual, the appeals court granted a stay, mm-hmm. saying it. Apple had raised serious issues about the ruling in the district court. That's on hold. What I will remind you is that skipping to the end of a legal process is not correct. Like, <laughs> like they issued the stay. That doesn't mean Apple won. It means I have to appeal. And it means when that's done, there, you know, there's an Epic v. Google exists too. Mm-hmm. So then there are going to be two cases that get appealed, which usually means you get another appeal and that might mean you get a Supreme Court case. Right. And Epic's law firm famously represented Amex against a bunch of retailers, lost at every level until they got the Supreme Court and won uh, in an antitrust case about merchant payments. So I'm not saying Apple's going to win. I'm not saying Epic's going to lose. I'm just saying don't skip to the end. The one, one important thing, the stay does not appear to apply to apps being allowed to admit that payment systems outside the App Store exist. So they can't link to it, but like, and Apple. I think Apple's already bent on this, right? They bent on it in Japan. I, they're not interested in fighting that. Yeah, yeah. So um, like that to me was always one of the most egregious things. So I I hope that goes away with a quickness. Yeah. Uh, Samsung. I didn't realize this hadn't already happened. They've merged their mobile and consumer electronics businesses. Yeah, I mean, I see this as a function of the mobile businesses and a hurting unit. Like like literally, the business unit is hurting. <laughs> Well, it's just funny. Like every Samsung product is like a is an Android phone. Like, what's it? What's yeah. a, what's a t, what's a TV? It's a giant Android phone. But like the TV, people are in charge. Yeah. So like this is either just not a big deal, or it's like I don't know the Sonyification of the way Samsung makes phones, which is like a scary thought because Sony's not been great at phones anyway. I don't think we can read too much into it yet. It might just be crazy Samsung company politics, but I do think that it may mean some like changes to the way that, like, they've been cranking out phones. I think that there might be, in theory, maybe, if we're lucky, some more coherency there, but who knows? Yeah. As a person who's in the market for a refrigerator, I'll say that I played with the Samsung smart fridge Yeah, at the store yesterday. Man, putting a slow mid-range Android tablet on the front of a refrigerator is not the compelling idea that you thought it was. No. <laughs> Eli, you need a high-tech refrigerator, so you are going to come to CES. Yeah, I know. I'm pretty sad that I won't be doing the refrigerator tour at CS. Do they make a one with like a curved screen of with the Android tablet so you can <laughs> oh get a curved God. TV refrigerator in your house? Do you want to do an hour on refrigerators? Because I'm in it right now. I'm <laughs> deep in the game. Do you know where do you know where the antitrust regulators in this country need to turn their attention? There's like three appliance manufacturers. They all Kenmore, own everything. Samsung, LG. There's Samsung and LG, and then there's uh, Hire, which owns GE, and there's Whirlpool, which owns everything else. Gotcha. Okay. It's a real, it's a real mess. Also, uh, appliance forums, just a hotbed of internet activity. There's a whole world here we're not paying attention to. <laughs> <laughs> Running on V-Bolt. <laughs> yeah, man. You want to you see misinformation at work? You ask people about LG's refrigerator compressors and whether they're reliable or not. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, last two things. There was the really dumb story about uh, the vice president and her wired headphones. Just you should. Corin Faith is our new secu- senior security reporter. He wrote a great post about it. Go read that. But long story short, it's okay if the most powerful people in the government don't have wireless radios that 
intrinsically serve as location beacons turned on. Uh, but go read that. And then Sonos announced a plan to make its products more repairable, which is interesting that that is becoming a thing. Microsoft announced the plan. Sonos announced that plan. Like um, Apple just did that big right to repair stuff. That movement is regardless of the legislation. There's proposed legislation, Alex. I know it might not ever happen. Mm-hmm. Regardless of that, the market is demanding repairability and the companies are starting to realize they can sell it. Yeah. Well, especially if you're Apple and you already made your products unrepairable, why not just give someone a iFixit kit and say, go for it, kid? Yeah. So I was spiky about this on Twitter. I said it was the right to repair equivalent of greenwashing because they didn't have any details about repair manuals or offering to sell replacement parts or whatever. Um, Sonos has emailed me and they're they're not happy with my spiky tweet, Uh even a little. Uh, So I just, for the record, want to say that uh, spokesperson Tom Lodge lets me know that... uh, I want to assure you this is a real plan with significant work already undertaken on products we will release and that we continue to work through the details of how we're going to manage the software aspect. And as we move closer to launch, we're committed to consulting with organizations active in this space, for example, iFixit and Fairphone, to ensure our offering is as meaningful as possible. He admits that the proof will only come when they release their products, but uh, Sonos pinky swears is my new phrase. Yeah. Okay. I feel like this is the second time Sonos has announced a big thing and then everyone misinterpreted it and they're like, no, we should have said more. Just a lesson for all of us. Finish your plan, then release the plan. All right. That's it. That's the Vergecast. You can tweet at us. Alex is Alex E. Heath. I'm at Reckless Theaters at Backlon. Tuesday, Dieter, which one was it? What do you Matter. Got? You got Matter? Yeah. That's a good one. The, spect- the holiday spectaculars continue with Matter. By the way, Jen, our new smart home reviewer, has been working on that Matter piece for a long time. They're coming out together. Like the the the, the Matter podcast, which features Jennifer quite a lot, is put into her big Matter explainer. It's a it's a huge, huge splash that you will understand what's coming, and what's coming is actually a lot. It's a spectacular. Yeah, I think Tony Fidel makes an appearance in the Jen's Matter piece. Yeah. It's it's good. We talk about thread just a little. Okay, actually, a hell of a lot. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> That's good. And then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, John Hankey, CEO of Niantic on Decoder next Tuesday. These last two decoders, by the way, uh, they're not CEOs, right? It was Miss Excel, which is on track to be our most popular episode of Decoder ever. <laughs> uh, people love Excel Influencer as a concept, which I should have expected because when I heard about it, I was like, oh, we got to do that. And then uh, Jonah Ehrlich from Constitution DAO yep. talked about blockchain. That was a good one. And I will say the re- response to it is like people being like, this is all the problems with blockchain or people being like, look at how awesome blockchains are. <laughs> There's no <laughs> in between, <laughs> uh, which is, I think a sign of a good episode of Decoder. Uh, that's it. We'll be back next week. That's Rochester. Rock and roll. Get a boost. <laughs>